0: Thank you. Sports Station, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook.
1: Good Saturday morning, Chicago. Happy Soxtober! Welcome inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670, the score. We talk baseball here 52 weeks a year from 9 to 11. I'm David Hall with Bruce Levine until 11 o'clock. Broadcasting live here from the Hyundai Score Studios. We will be talking today about a White Sox team that has maintained its focus after clinching a playoff spot last week unlike unlike it did a year ago and now the Sox have won five in a row six out of seven they are coming in hot to the playoffs you cannot ignore tony la Russa's impact on that trend good morning bruce
2: how are you doing today i'm doing great david it's wonderful to be talking uh playoff baseball for your chicago white Sox uh cup fans we will not ignore you we will talk about uh, them and their future wrapping up of the 2000 2000- and 21 season tomorrow against the Cardinals in St. Louis. But predominantly talking a lot of White Sox today, and uh, we will have special guests, including Gordon Beckham, who's an analyst on White Sox television, as well as Jeff Blum, the World Series hero from 2005 for the White Sox, now a TV analyst for Houston Astro Baseball. So plenty to talk about, uh, as David always says You are king, you, the Chicago fans, at 312-644-6767. That's where you can find us as that is our phone and text line. And, David, uh, let's go back to uh, last night's game and uh, the significance of what you saw from Lance Lynn pitching. I think it was big. I think
1: it was big because there's a real sense of anticipation. I think that is – different than the, not dread that you felt last week, last year, excuse me, at the end of the year in that final week where things were trending in the wrong direction in 2020, the Sox finished the season with seven of eight losses and seven losses in the final eight games. And and I think that this year when you see them win their fifth straight last night, Bruce six out of seven and Lance Lynn look like, look like a guy that, you know, in five innings, 81 pitches, pretty solid, I think we've seen him more spectacular, but I do think that that was a welcome sign because we'll see Lucas Giolito tonight. Tony La Russa talked about either Giolito or Lynn starting game one against the Astros. And let's face it, the way the Sox uh, thing has been going with, with freaky injuries and and setbacks and this and that, when you see Lance Lynn pitch five innings and the Sox come out with a victory, you got to feel good about that.
2: The Chicago White Sox, David, are the healthiest they've been all year. Uh, which is quite a statement to make for a team that has won uh, over 90 ball games, won their division handily, and uh, really didn't have their whole mix together all season long. As they are approaching the playoffs, they seem to be getting stronger and stronger all the way around, including what we, what you talked about with Lynn yesterday, Giolito's last two performances and pitching tonight. And um, most importantly, um, the return to his form of shortstop Tim Anderson. This is the most important guy on the Chicago White Sox when it comes to position players. This is the guy that makes it go. And as we saw last night, for the first time probably in five or six weeks, you saw Tim Anderson at full strength, at full running speed, Scoring on a a little ground ball in the infield uh, to shortstop by outrunning a ball to home plate. To me, that was a significant moment uh, in that game last night. It showed that Tim Anderson is back. He has his legs under him, and he's ready to lead this offense. Four hits, four bats, a walk, uh, and uh, a purpose for both Anderson and Abreu in beating the Detroit Tigers, who they fought with last Sunday. So from all all. Areas, uh, David. That was a meaningless game and a very big game for the Chicago White Sox last night.
1: Absolutely true. Four for four for Tim Anderson with his legs, with his speed, with his voice, and in just the the fact that his him, he, he's, he's energy, instant energy. We've seen it all year long. Uh, last night was the latest example. Jose Abreu joins the thirty homer, one hundred RBI club for the fifth straight year. That's rare company uh, to keep in White Sox history. And we mentioned, Lynn, I think you'll see a good outing tonight from Giolito when he's back on the mound against Matt Manning against the Tigers. But, Bruce, you alluded to it in the last point that you made there, and I came in with it talking about the Sox staying hot. They clinched. And when they, they clinched, and we talked about it a week ago on this show, we talked to Rick Hahn about not having a letdown, and they haven't. Now, I don't know if it's because of the melee they had in Detroit or the skirmish or however you want to describe it, I don't know if it's because of the way that Tony La Russa has structured the rest schedule so this team doesn't have a letdown. Whatever you want to point to as a reason, this White Sox team is trending in the right direction at the right time, unlike a year ago. What do you think is the biggest
2: reason for that? Tony La Russa. Uh, Tony La Russa, I mean, look, you have tremendous talent. Uh, I think uh, you or Molly could uh, manage this team and probably – Get pretty close to the playoffs, and uh, that—that's—that's that's not saying you're great managers, but uh, you're great talk show hosts. But I don't know about managers. The point is, is that um, Larusa, this just this week, and you pointed it out in the open, David, so importantly, the idea that this team failed after they clinched the playoffs in 2020, as you said, they lost seven of eight. But then they lost two or three in the playoffs, and that was it. They were done. Uh, this team is peaking at the right time, the exact opposite of what the White Sox were doing last year. And, and for me, that's huge. Most people will say, well, you're beating the Detroit Tigers. It's not a big deal. But for me, the White Sox have a sense of purpose about themselves. I don't know if they needed Tony La Russa to have that sense, but he certainly has underlined it, underscored it, and made sure that they have paid attention to this. And to me, it's it's the most enjoyable part of the year watching Chicago White Sox baseball, knowing that they didn't let their foot off of the gas pedal like last year, and they are playing important, purposeful baseball going into the playoffs.
1: And it's fun to see the two guys who led the way last night having strong finishes to a special year with Tim Anderson and Abreu, and you... I, I need to stand corrected, Bruce. The, that was the fifth time that Jose Abreu has had 30 home runs and 100 RBIs, not the fifth straight because last year was the truncated season. But this is the five, fifth time in eight seasons with the White Sox, and only Frank Thomas and Paul Konerko have done that. This is the guy who has established himself as one of the most consistent run producers in the American League, the reigning MVP. And, and Bruce, correct me if I'm wrong, but that show of emotion – that he displayed Monday in Detroit and the way that the White Sox players rallied around him. I don't think that's unrelated to the things we're talking about here down the stretch. They have not had a lapse of intensity. And I think that they were sort of sparked by seeing Jose Abreu slide hard in a second and, and create this sort of environment where the intensity would
2: be high. And that has carried them through this final week of the season. Right, and they're good play. You know, we we cannot we cannot talk about the White Sox without saying that their great play in April and May allowed them the time for their players to heal and still win a division. Uh, that's that's so important. Uh, the way that they they raced in front of this division and then basically played 500 ball for the next 120 games, but still were able to get the rest for Anderson, get the rest for uh, Giolito, get the rest for Lynn all three said, and this is really important. I believe David all three said if we were playing close games and we needed to win, we'd be playing right now. Well, what you would have had, you would have a lot different players available to you going into the playoffs than you have as far as the durability goes for Anderson, for Lynn, for Giolito right now. And I, I think that's huge for the White Sox. All that said, A couple of good performances by Houston from their pitching staff, you know, will wipe out all that enthusiasm. But I I think White Sox fans should feel really good about where their team is at right now. I
1: think they should, too. I mean, you look at where the Sox are and what the Astros are sort of limping into the postseason the way the White Sox did a year ago right now. The the contrast in the two teams in terms of what they – the the Sox the last seven games have been pretty hot at the plate their their collective uh, slash line is 286-381-492 the red the Astros in contrast 208-207-335 they've lost 6 of 10 we'll talk to Jeff Blum about what may be going on in Houston but I feel like you look you look at the Sox and we mentioned Abreu, we mentioned Anderson you know Luis Robert has been the the special player that we know he can be since coming back and he has been a, he's a guy that's capable of getting hot and carrying a team in a, in a postseason series like that, there are other good things that have stood out. But I think it starts with you talk about superlatives in the White Sox. Luis Robert, my goodness, Bruce, he has been hot and he has been as good as advertised. He looks healthy. That's what it is. I think as much as anything, yeah. he looks like a guy who's healthy.
2: Well, he's healthy. And as he points out, when we talked to him a couple of days ago, um, as he points out, he's more experienced now. OK, he he had that great month in. uh July, August last year, and then he failed in September uh, because uh, the league tra- learned how to, to pitch him out of the zone and, and he went fishing. Uh, this is a different guy now that takes uh, takes those pitches and also hits the ball everywhere it's pitched. So uh, you have one of the, the best uh, b- baseball players in the game right now in Luis Robert. I don't think you will be shocked, David, if Luis Robert continues to be this type of player through most of his career going forward. He is that That's exciting special part. of a player. Yep. Yes, he is. Yeah.
1: And, and, Bruce, you said, and, and I'm not arguing with you, I think that the, the health of the White Sox is a big reason why they have maybe you know, are, are trending in the right direction right now. They're as healthy as they have been all year. They're not totally 100% healthy, no team is. But it brings me to Carlos Rodon. I think his health and how did he wake up Friday morning feeling, how did he – How does he feel today? How does he feel moving forward, and how would you use him? What do you know about Carlos Rodon's health, and and how do you think the White Sox are planning to use him against the
2: Astros? They don't know. They just flat out don't know right now. Uh, uh, La Russa told us that he played catch uh, yesterday after throwing on Wednesday. Uh, They're not quite sure where he's at. And uh, to be honest with you, let's play general manager for a moment, okay. David, um, this is always fun to do for fans and and uh, radio uh, broadcasters and reporters uh, playing playing the general manager right now. What is general manager David Haw do with uh, the uncertainty of uh, Carlos Rodon and how he plans his rotation for the next week? He's worth a playoff spot on the roster absolutely true he's worth the spot on the roster
1: I have to gauge his health day to day as you said we don't know and we have to we have to know what we don't know and we have to plan accordingly so I keep Dallas Keuchel on my playoff roster I reserve a spot for the veteran I keep Michael Kopech in my hip pocket that doesn't mean I'm not gonna use Michael Kopech in games one or two it means that I'm going to be very selective in the spots that I might identify as Michael Kopech moments. But I'm not going to put Game 4 and prioritize that ahead of Game 1 or 2 if the, if it's in 6th inning, there's a runner on 2nd and 3rd, and there's one out, and I need to go to Kopech because that's the most high-leverage situation that he's capable of, of handling. So I am going in with an open mind. I'm thinking Kopech may open Game 4 if he's available. But if Carlos Rodon feels good – The five innings he showed me the other night showed me that he understands how to be a pitcher, not a thrower. He's made that growth and maturation in his career, Bruce. So I think Carlos Rodon deserves an opportunity. If he is healthy, he has earned that right. But I'm prepared for the inevitable, and that is if he's not ready to go and if there has to go a a last-ditch scenario, I'm prepared for that.
2: Right, uh, I'll I'll take. I like your scenario, and I like the, the thought. And uh, you know, we might keep you as the GM of this show. Um, <laughs> we'll we'll see how it works out. You know, uh, we'll see how ownership looks at this. But uh, in in reality, David, you also have another choice, and that choice is, if if Game Four is significant for you, you might be piggybacking Keuchel and uh, Kopek rather than. Carlos and Kopech, because the one sure thing about Keuchel is, and it's it's not all that reassuring, but it, it it's knowledge, and that is he's healthy, okay. So you you have a guy that has experience, that is a former Cy Young Award winner, a former Houston Astro, a guy with great pride and ability, and has shown a little bit better over the last couple starts. That that's another possibility there. Uh, at, at the very worst. I agree with you that you hold on to Keichel, you hold on to Lopez, you have Kopech, and those are your three long men for this series. Uh, If there's failure or there's short outings or there's uh, a need to get them out after four or five innings, you have these three arms capable of throwing three innings.
1: Hold on, Bruce. Hold on. Uh, my, My special assistant to the general manager, the intern, just knocked on the door, came in, gave me my coffee since I'm in the general manager's chair and said, Hold on everything. Wait a second. There still could be a scenario which the Sox are hosting games one and two where they could catch the Astros and not have to to surrender home field advantage. And if that's the case, you don't want Carlos Rodon pitching in Houston. All right? I'm I'm with Steve Stone on that one. And so if that's the case, it might change your thinking. But if the White Sox win the final two games of this season today and tomorrow and the Astros lose both those games, then – you're hosting suddenly game one of the ALDS. Does that affect your thinking? Thank you, Mr. Intern. That just gave me the coffee and the information. Uh,
2: that You know, I think that intern has a very good chance of replacing both you and, and me in the <laughs> front office here. I think uh, he knows a little bit more than we do. No, it's a great point. And uh, although it's a long shot that the – I don't think it's a long shot that the Sox will win, To uh, I, I think it's a long shot that the Tigers – I mean that the Houston will lose to. But that said, um you know, you uh, you have a home field advantage. You might want to consider pitching uh Carlos Rodon right away, okay? So, would you pitch him in game 1 or 2? Could you stand the second guess of uh of one of those two guys wow. not not starting? <laughs> because you know, I mean, Bruce, in this series, David you- <laughs> David, in this series, okay, you have, at the very best, you have Carlos Rodon for one start. Right. Okay? Right. He's one of the best starters at home. He's left-handed in a ballpark that's a little bit more suiting, as Steve points out, uh, against a very right-handed, dominant Houston Astro team, hitting-wise. So from that perspective, does Rodon sneak up into one or two Pitching against the Astros at home, and that would be, there would have to be, some big boulders carried around Bruce, by some of the G- you have the front been, office and the manager.
1: You have been in Chicago a very long time. I've been here long enough to know this. If you don't pitch either Lita or Lynn in games one or two, in whatever order you wanted to, to choose to to pitch them, you know the second guessing that Tony Larusa would endure. If it, if it was a bad hunch that he played it would be decades of second guessing if that backfired on him there's no way there's no way that Rodan would pitch one
2: or two or anybody but Gilito or Lynn right well okay that may be true and i i don't necessarily argue with you with that but if rodan is pitching in game 4 and it's an elimination game yeah what's more important it's, i mean i mean point? you know so you know who who is your likely game four if it's not Rodan? It's not it's not Lynn or and it's not um, uh, and it's not Giolito on short rest, right? You're you're not bringing them back on short rest. No, not One that of short. those guys, one of those guys, guy that starts game one is likely the game five starter.
1: The score listener line is powered by BetQL. Bet smarter, beat the books. Download the BetQL app today or visit BetQL. We will squeeze in Mike from Northbrook. Good morning, Mike. Welcome inside the clubhouse.
2: Yeah, good morning. Uh, Yeah, you guys stole my thunder. I I called in earlier and pointed out that it's not totally impossible that Sox win two. And Houston loses two in a very, very, I consider Oakland to be like a death house. It's a very, very tough place to win. And uh, that that could happen. That being said, I'll, I'll switch to something else real quickly. Sox one through six is as good as I've ever seen in the history. I've been following this team since the late 50s. Their one through six is, like, unbelievable. And then you throw in Lurie Garcia and uh, Sheets. I mean, it's a great lineup, number two. Sox have better starting pitching than Houston, if you take a look at really what they have. And a bullpen that's much better, okay? I'm, I don't know if you agree with me that these could be close games, and the Sox have a big advantage with the bullpen they have over Houston's. They, uh, that, that's a good call. Thank you for it's holding on. We appreciate it. And the number Thanks, again, Mike. 312-644-6767. We're here for you for both Cubs, Sox, anything baseball for the next two hours. And uh, David, it, it's, it's, a, it's a really good point, uh, but that's all on paper, isn't it? Uh, it is all on paper. The Astros have managed without all that great pitching, and we'll talk to uh, Jeff, uh, Jeff Blum about that at, uh, at 10 o'clock. Uh, to be one of the dominant teams in the American League, uh, so if, if you disrespect their pitching and you disrespect the Astros, you're 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 ignoring the point of them being one of the better teams in the American League.
1: And Dusty Baker as a manager too. We have a lot to talk about when it comes to Sox and Astros and what's ahead for the ALDS. And we will talk Sox until 11 o'clock. We've got Gordon Beckham at 10:30. We've got Jeff Blum at the top of the hour. We've got a lot of plenty of White Sox talk, but we've got to wrap up the Cubs season. Bruce, what word would you use to describe what this Cubs season was and what it turned out to be? We will talk about that next here inside the clubhouse, Chicago sports radio, 670. The score
0: thought he did a, a nice job. Uh, it was a pretty good lineup. They got over there. And uh, like you said, Monio had everybody's number. It seemed like tonight um, had a really nice thought. Corey threw well. Um, Mixed his pitches well, kept them off balance, a lot of soft contact, a lot of missed barrels. Uh, Love the tempo at which he works. Uh, Really nice job.
1: Welcome back. Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score inside the clubhouse. David Hall, Bruce Levine here until 11 talking baseball. That was the voice of David Ross talking about Friday's 4-3 loss to the Cardinals for the Cubs. Corey Abbott in his first major league start, took the loss, or he was able to pitch five innings and lost five to th- four to three, gave up two home runs. Corey Abbott was pitching to Eric Castillo and so Abbott and Castillo. Who's oh, on first, no. Bruce? You're forgiven oh, for good. wondering that. This Cubs season oh, a comedy of errors, you know where I'm going with this.
2: Sorry. Oh, horrible. Horrible. <laughs> nice try though. I, I would I would have tried it myself and gotten booed out of the building just like you are getting right now. But Um, it's, uh, Abbott should be wearing number 66, David, because that is how many, that is the number of player he is back on the team. There there are 66 players used by the Chicago Cubs in 2021. That is a national league record, one short of the major league record. And it kind of tells you about what. The season was all about. It. So, if I was talking to you on March 31st, uh, the day the season started, David, and we were talking on Molly and Haw, the Great Morning Show on the Score that you're a part of, and we, I would tell you the Cubs will end up using 66 players in 2021. What would your response have been to what the season would be like? Disastrous. Something would have gone terribly
1: wrong. I, I would not have believed it, Bruce. I just didn't think that it was something that this team was headed in that direction. I think that we all had higher hopes based on the personnel that was assembled at the time. Um, it's very frustrating. I can't imagine what it's like for Cub fans to look at what's going on here and the reality that's ahead of them. The only good news about all this is I guess they've secured the seventh spot in the 2022 MLB draft, so they're going to get a quality prospect. But now is an organization filled with prospects, full full of potential where you're used to production. And if you'd have told me that was coming back in March, I think I would have said, okay, uh, how do I get to the south side? Because that is the team I figure I, I will have a better time and enjoy following more this season than the Cubs and what they've become.
2: Yeah, I, uh, David, um, it, was, it was such a, a mishmash of what was going to occur to begin the season because um, Cub fans and media alike, including myself, were wondering how that starting pitching staff was going to look after trading uh, arguably the top three or four pitcher from 2020 in Hugh Darvish to San Diego for some very good-looking young prospects down the line and uh, Zach Davies. Uh, That gave the uh, people who watch Cub Baseball tremendous hesitation right there about what the season was going to be like. To add to that mix, uh, it was going to be a uh, a completely right-handed starting pitching staff, uh, bringing back uh, Jake Arrieta, uh, adding in uh, Mills, uh, hoping that Alzele was going to make it uh, as a starter and be able to pitch Uh, in enough games to be a a viable starting pitcher. All those things led to great uh, questions and doubt. And as it turned out, uh, that was a major part of why the Chicago Cubs didn't do well, in my opinion, in 2021. We know that the trades were made and the guys were dealt, uh, the All-Stars, the guys that were huge parts of the World Series team. But, you know, that team with those players lost 11 games in a row i know before everything was put in motion to trade them it was mo- it was mostly in my opinion uh, a lack of starting pitching A uh, starting pitching that has a 490 era in 2021 uh, i think it's second worst in uh, the major leagues
1: and bruce that's a really good point because objectively you take a step back and I look at the offensive numbers, you know, and I think Marquee Sports Network broke this down the other night. It was um, maybe Thursday or Friday before the trade deadline. The Cubs were averaging 4.2 runs per game. After the trade deadline, they're averaging 4.57. So they actually statistically were better. The batting average is much higher after the trade deadline: 251 compared to 227 before. OBP and slugging both are up. So offensively. There hasn't been as as steep of a decline as there has been with the pitching and with just the overall inconsistency of that rotation and staff. Is that the story of twenty twenty one to you for the Cubs decline as much as anything? The the lack
2: of dependable pitching overall? I, I would have to say so. I mean the bullpen was sensational. You know, let's 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 give them their credit. David Ross and that group, the first two-and-a-half months of the season, uh, I would say surprised the world uh, some of the best bullpen pitching and, and keeping them right, at, right near first place, right with uh, Milwaukee, right there with St. Louis as the top teams in the uh, Central uh, because of that bullpen. Uh, the predictability of a bullpen with that many appearances early on because the starting pitchers were going three and four innings, other than Kyle Hendricks, uh, was easy. It was a layup. You knew the bullpen wasn't going to be able to hold up. Uh, once the trading deadline came, you traded uh, two of those bi- big pitchers to uh, the Chicago White Sox. But before that, you know, we saw the team start to falter, and, and that was because the bullpen was just not going to be able to hold up all their the innings that they had to throw. Uh, I think the Cubs are. I think 27th or 28th in starting pitching innings in baseball this year. So that, that's all. That's all you have to know, really. You, you can you can start by looking at what Jed Hoyer said from when he took over last November until now, and that is it's been consistent. The conversation has been about adding pitching to the Chicago Cubs. That that was their huge success. When they were World Series champions, when they were contenders every year from 2015 through 2020, uh, it was always about the starting pitching first. And that has to be fortified and and reset if they're going to be a contender again.
1: And that was why Justin Steele's strong outing I believe Thursday night to finish his season on a on a high note was important because he'll come into spring training in Mesa next next February with an opportunity to be one of those guys they count on in 2022. Depending on how active the offseason is, depending on who else is either signed or traded for by acquisition if Jet Hoyer is as busy as we hope that he will be. Let's go out now to the BetQL. Listener line, that is where Don is in Burr Ridge. Good morning, Don. Welcome to inside the clubhouse.
2: Love the show, favorite show of the uh, of the week. I call in uh, almost every week. Anyways, um, when the Cubs are saying that they're they're not rebuilding, I laugh at it because there are so many holes. The pitching staff is is so decimated. I see at least two, probably three years before they're a contender again. Um, even if they go heavy on on free agency. They, they take the top two um, starting pitchers. they still have so many holes. It's pathetic. Secondly, you really
0: want Madrigal and Horner as a second baseman and shortstop combined, maybe 10
2: homers. Are they, are they above average fielders? What's the range? I think they're both average at best. I mean, I, I don't see it. I, I don't like it. Thanks,
1: Don. Thanks, Good, Don. Phone, call. Good Bruce, phone call. Bruce. If you look at, uh, if you look at Nico Horner, is he a injury prone disappointment? Is he a foundational building block? Which of the two would you say right now as his season ends on the
2: injured list? I don't know. And no, I don't think anyone else knows. He's only played what? 110 games in his career in the major leagues, something like that. Very small amount. He only played 40 uh, some games this year. And, uh, uh, We, we see a talented young player who is athletic, who, uh, seems to have a good baseball IQ, uh, ability to play a a very strong defensive second base that we saw last year, uh, having a, a college career at shortstop, having come up in 2019 played, uh, 19 great games at shortstop replacing Baez when the, uh, the Cubs, uh, fell out of the race. But, uh, showed well for 2020 we don't know much about uh, nico horner other than there's a big baseball iq there is athleticism there is a work ethic other than that we don't know what nico horner is and i don't think the cubs do either david
1: that's a scary part because maybe they rushed him to the big leagues on circumstances that they could not have predicted but he was up here pretty fast there was a lot of hope a lot of a lot of promise And yet, Bruce, if you had to ask me to invest in either Nick Madrigal's next three years or Nico Horner's next three years, right now, even even though he was injured and traded and all these other things, I might be leaning a little bit closer to Nick Madrigal because I know one thing that he can do. I know what his strength is and where it lies. And I know he's going to be a contact guy that can – get better defensively and on the bases, but he's going to be a guy that you can count on to make contact and hit for probably a high average with Nico availability is the biggest ability. I don't know if he can feel that. And there's other things. His versatility is a blessing, but I wonder if it's also a curse.
2: You know, I really, uh, when I hear about a versatile player these days, I I get nervous. Okay. (laughs) And not in the case of Horner, but in the case of what major league baseball has done by, uh, insisting that players play two or three positions coming up through the minor leagues, and then once they get here, put them in those positions. And we hear the the fact that they say, yeah, um, they can play those positions. They, They might be out there in left and right field. They might be out there at shortstop and second, but they might be below average players at those positions, David. They might play all of those positions, but none of them very well. So for me, um, I, I don't know where Horner is going to play. I know that they have high hopes for him. Again, he hasn't played enough games. Madrigal's is coming back from a very serious injury. As you said, we know he can hit the ball. Uh, he puts the bat on the ball. He doesn't swing and miss very often. Uh, but these are two very young guys that might be duplications of each other, both being second basemen. The Cubs back in action tonight against an old pal, John Lester, on the mound for the Cardinals.
1: Listen right here on the score. The game is at 6-15 in St. Louis. Uh, they finish up the season tomorrow like everybody else, and it will be a welcome end to a very long season. Bruce, you know what? We're going to switch gears again. We're going to go back to the White Sox. And look, what's that I hear? I hear some chin music playing our name. We will talk next about Tim Anderson. What did he have to say? Chin music here inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 6-7 The score. Oh, chin
0: music a little chin music. Take that hit for a ride it's time for some chin music
2: hey um, how about a warning
1: Sure watch out you don't get killed. <laughs>
0: Because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to
1: something that deserves one, like this. Yeah, he was pushing me. So, I mean, I didn't realize who he was because he was so close to pushing me. So, I mean, what's your reaction? Someone pushed you to push him up off you. So I pushed him up off of me, and, I mean, I realized him. But at that point it's too late. So but yeah, I pushed him and he put it but he started it. He he uh, initiated it. So I just pushed him back. I pushed him off of me, because he was kinda in my space a little bit, a little too close. So I pushed him off and told him I don't I don't give a, you know, bleep. And um I think he got I think he was in that that part that I said when I said I don't I don't give a, you know, F and that was it. But I didn't I didn't realize it was umpire. I mean, obviously We all know if I would have seen him, and I knew that that who it was. I mean, obviously I wouldn't just be pushing the umpire. He ain't do nothing to me. It kind of didn't make sense. But, I mean, it's okay.
2: I mean, we're just going to deal with it and move on.
1: Welcome back inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio 670. The score, David Haw, Bruce Levine until 11 o'clock. We are playing the chin music, and that was Tim Anderson talking about his three-game suspension levied by Major League Baseball for his role in monday skirmish in detroit where he was caught on the video bruce shoving as he described tim timmins empire who intervened i think bruce to correct me if i'm wrong i want, to, I want your take on this entire situation but look like tim timmins got involved to make a bad prevent a bad situation from getting worse especially as it pertained to Jose Abreu, who everybody saw how hot he was. In comes Tim Anderson into the middle of everything, and then it was hard to tell who was doing what to whom. When they studied the video, they slowed it down. They they, they looked at it like the Zapruder film, and there was definitely a second shover. There was Tim Anderson pushing away Tim Timmons.
2: Fine alliteration on your part. Uh, excellent. I enjoyed it very much. Look, um, – <laughs> Timmons did save Jose Abreu from a long suspension because he was going to be the first guy to make contact uh, with the shortstop and the rest of the Tigers uh, when he and he didn't have to do this, but Timmons literally, as you pointed out, physically separated uh, Abreu from going after Goodrum and the Tigers, and then it was. Uh, it was Sheets who came around and grabbed Abreu, saved him from some more. But when it, when the pile started, uh, all bets are off. I don't know if Timmons... I mean, again, I, I think he's a really good umpire that did his best to separate it. But once you're in that mix, does the umpire player rules, David, really apply when you're involved in that group? Can you single out one guy and say... This guy's getting a suspension for being involved because he was he was rude to me. He shoved back. Uh, I believe Anderson. I believe in the heat of the moment. He didn't know who was shoving him, and he shoved, shoved back. Um, if I was his lawyer defending him in court, I probably would have done a better job than he did yesterday of uh, defending myself. <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I, I don't give an F. Okay, well, right. you know. But um, Bruce, when, when he told the umpire that, that was automatic That at that point that he was disrespecting the umpire, and he was going to get a suspension. Don't you think it was what he said more than what he did that led to yeah, the suspension? I do. I do. Yeah. There was because, no, oh, Mr. Umpire, I'm so yeah. sorry I pushed you. Thanks for being involved in trying to do your job above and beyond, but you got in the middle of 10 guys pushing each other, and I'm trying to protect myself and uh, my teammates at the same time, not knowing that you're wearing a blue uniform when you're two inches away and everybody's shoving everybody else.
1: That's a great point. And I also think that I I have less problem with Major League Baseball enacting the, the, the punishment or, or, or sticking to the letter of the law as the rule stands But I also wonder if the punishment, I don't think it fits the crime here, if you want to look at it in those legal terms. You know, three games for incidental contact in the heat of the moment, the kind of things. And you get it, they got a full confession. I mean, doesn't he get something for a full confession? And three games instead of one?
2: He gets two games. (laughs) He'll get two games instead of one. Uh, The good news for White Sox fans who are listening to this and wondering is, is that if he gets a suspension today or tomorrow, it doesn't impact the playoffs. So right. um, that, there's precedent for that. Uh, people will be he'll be suspended the beginning of next year, which isn't great. You know, you have your opening series and your starting shortstop won't play in game one and two. That won't that won't be fantastic, but at least they can move on from this incident for now and not have the imp, uh, the uh, playoffs impacted by the situation.
1: Well, that's the good thing because that would be a farce if that were the case. But next year, the White Sox opening day, Thursday, March 31st, it is a guaranteed rate field, Bruce. And if they're raising the banner and they're giving World Series rings away and Tim Anderson's not in the lineup, I'm going to be a little disappointed. I think a lot of people will. I understand it, but, yeah, that's a really secondary concern with everything else we're talking about the White Sox. But I wish Major League Baseball – Again, applied some common sense here, but I don't think that's going to happen. I think he's going to have probably that reduced to either two or one games, and we're going to have to live with it.
2: Well, it'll be maybe it'll be more fun with uh, him sitting with uh, Steve Stone and Jason Bonetti as they, uh, they broadcast game one and two with the uh, shortstop's perspective of what's going on. As long as
1: somebody's near the dump button. I, I think that might be a good good idea
2: because You mean for uh, for Jason or for uh <laughs> Stony. <laughs> oh you never know. Stoney goes blue. He,
1: he might. Uh, no. So Bruce, the one thing though I, I do curious before we get to break here, we've got Jeff Flum coming up at ten o'clock, Gordon Beckham at ten twenty-five. Stick with us here on Inside the Clubhouse. The fact that he dealt with that yesterday, he talked about the the, the suspension. Do you expect the next two games to be any sort of residue from Monday's kind of re- incident in Detroit? Did, did you see any evidence of it last night, and do you think that's over? No, there was over? a hit batter
2: last night, and it was over. Uh, no, there was no reaction to it. Okay. Um, so I, I think I think both sides. Look, uh, you know, I think the Detroit Tigers are a professional organization. I don't think they, uh, they want uh, anybody to be hurt. Uh, on their team or the other team, uh, you know, it was a situation that uh, was more a White Sox situation than a Tiger situation. The Tigers yep. had not hit Jose Abreu all year. They were not one of the 21 uh, hit by pitches prior to this. So, um, you know, this, this was just a, a victim of circumstances, as uh, Curley would always say with the three stooges, you know, uh, in his own East Coast way. Uh, this was a He was a victim of circumstances, and, uh, and the Tigers were victims of circumstances with Abreu having had enough from being hit all those times.
1: And, Bruce, I did read into it probably a little too much, but I thought that A.J. Hinch was very respectful and complimentary of Tim Anderson talking about the catalyst that he is to this White Sox offense, how different they are when he is doing what he did last night on the base paths. And I felt like that show of respect was almost like, all right, now we got two teams that are playing against each other hard. The competitors are showing respect, and that's the way it should be. And after Monday, that was welcome to see and to hear.
2: Yeah, I think it's in the past uh, for for now. And uh, Detroit, you know, look, uh, Hinch and the Tigers have done a great job this year. They have a very outstanding young pitching staff that will be uh, pushing the White Sox and the rest of that division starting next year. Uh, they, they came up very close to passing the Cleveland Indians a week ago uh, here for second place. So uh, the, this division is going to get much stronger uh, in 2022 and beyond. Kansas City has good players. Cleveland continues to have outstanding pitching. They will add a few bats along the way. So uh, this isn't the White Sox division necessarily uh, for the next five or six years. I think they will be a big part of it, but it, it's not a slam dunk. Uh, so Ex- taking care of business this year is pretty important.
1: Excellent point. The Royals, since the All-Star break, are just like the White Sox, 38 and 33. We have seen the Tigers with their young talent. You can never sleep on the Indians, who will be the, the Guardians uh, soon. And then I guess there's the Twins, who, who are, you know, have been for a long time the nemesis to the White Sox. So it's a division that will continue to improve, and you feel very good about where the White Sox are. And, uh, and, and, of course, where they're headed. And that's what we'll talk about next with Jeff Blum, who is the former White Sox World Series hero, now is the Astros TV analyst. He knows the team in Houston. He knows the tradition in Chicago. We will talk to him next on Inside the Clubhouse here on Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score.
0: T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours